Hello, everyone. I'm Becca, dietitian by trade, mom 24-7, wife from the start, and when there's a few extra hours in the day, you might find me hitting the trails or on horseback. And I'm Kara, a therapist to women, a mom to a boy, an entrepreneur, mountain junkie, and a postpartum runner. And this is Fit for a Queen, a podcast that's devoted to the female athlete wanting to balance the teeter-totter of all the things we desire out of life as women. Performance, health, intellect, and taking time for self, even if we only get one minute out of the day. We're so excited to be bringing you the queens in the athletic world who have done just that. Okay, ladies, take a seat at your thrones, grab your crowns, and welcome to Fit for a Queen. All right. Welcome back to Fit for a Queen. We have Dr. Lonnie Sarnell on. She is a licensed clinical psychologist who provides clinical and sports psychology services to adolescents and adults. Dr. Sarnell has experience working with a wide range of concerns, including anxiety, depression, academic stress, life transitions, eating disorders, and relationship concerns. She specializes in peak performance and anxiety management. She has worked with athletes at all levels, including high school, college, and professional athletes. Dr. Sinell completed her BA in psychology at Yale University, where she played as a goalie on the Division I women's lacrosse team. Dr. Sinell received her PsyD in clinical psychology with a concentration in sport performance psychology from LaSalle University, where she provided sports psychology services within the athletic department. She completed a pre-doctoral internship and a postdoc fellowship at the University of Delaware Center for Counseling and Student Development, where she consulted with student services for athletes and provided sports psychology and personal counseling services for students. Dr. Sunnell's postdoc specialization areas were performance, anxiety, and eating disorders. From 2013 to 2016, she worked at the Metropolitan Center for Cognitive Behavioral Therapy, a private practice on the Upper East Side of New York City that specializes in the treatment of anxiety. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much. Thanks for that introduction. I'm excited to talk with you today. You have the perfect combination of things um, that we work with and we, Mm -hmm. we love talking about. So yeah, thank you so much for being on. Great. Um, Well, we're seeing a little bit more of athletes taking it upon Mm -hmm. themselves to open up about mental health, um, particularly anxiety. Um, Kevin Love coming out, Michael Phelps, and Serena Williams Mm -hmm. have all stated that they've struggled with bouts of anxiety. Why do you think it's taken so long for us to start discussing mental health and athletes? Some people see anxiety as a personal failing, as something to be ashamed of, rather than seeing it as something that's extremely prevalent and that can be treated. Now, we even know some research says that the average delay between the onset of when symptoms of mental illness first appear and intervention can be eight to 10 years. Um, um, so now, yeah, that's, it's, a, it's a really long amount of time yeah. to wait. Um, and when we look at anxiety in athletes, I think it adds a whole other level of stigma. You know, many people have this notion that athletes are supposed to be strong and mentally tough and have their, you know, game face on, mm-hmm. so to speak, at all times. So they should just be able to push through and push down their emotions, which leaves no room for any struggles. But, you know, athletes are human. They have stressors both within and outside of their sport. So, of course, some experience anxiety and depression. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I really think it's so powerful when professional athletes share their experiences with anxiety. You know, for some, when they discuss mental health openly, like even just the talking about it helps them. And, of course, it helps others because, 
it takes some of the shame away from it. Mm-hmm. You know, and if they've sought help for the anxiety and they've benefited from treatment, that's an awesome message to share with people to show that it's something that can be managed. And I personally love talking with my clients about the stories that are out there of professional athletes sharing their experiences with anxiety because it shows how common it is and how talking about it can help. And, you know, overall anxiety is such a big part of sports, but Mm -hmm. when it gets to the point that it interferes with optimal performance, I think it can only benefit sports in general for it to be more and more the norm for athletes to talk about it to seek out mental health and sports psychology services. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. That usually gets them in the door if all of a sudden their performance starts declining. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah, right. I would love to discuss performance anxiety specifically. Something that I struggled with that um, was I undiagnosed through high school and college, probably a lot of expectation on myself, but it ended up impacting yeah. my love for the sport of running. How would you first define what performance anxiety is? Right. So, um, you know, performance anxiety, we're not just talking about feeling any level of anxiety uh, because anxiety and sports go hand in hand. We're Mm -hmm. talking about stress and anxiety that leads to suboptimal performance, right? Performance that's not up to what you're able to do and have done in the past. Um, You know, for some, that means they're totally in their head and worrying about what's going to happen, what other people will think, what happens if they fail, And then that worry might make them try to control their movements in a way that actually makes their movements less fluid, Mm -hmm. right? Like, so when you're an experienced athlete, your movements are automatic. All of the the small steps are not under your conscious control. So this overthinking process actually gets in the way and and decreases performance levels. Mm -hmm. I think you've talked a little bit about how does that anxiety serve us versus how it can be detrimental to our performance? Yeah. I mean, if we have zero anxiety, if we're feeling kind of blah and low energy going into performance, we're not going to perform at our best. Mm -hmm. Um, And just like on the flip side, if we are an absolute bundle of nerves and our anxiety level is super high, we also aren't going to do our best. So there's this sweet spot in the middle, but it's actually like less of a spot and more of a range, right? There's a range of anxiety levels where we perform at our best. And as our anxiety increases past a certain point, that's when our performance begins to decline. And then there are people with, you know, really debilitating performance anxiety who once their anxiety level hits a certain point, their performance just plummets. It drops mm-hmm. dramatically as opposed to that gradual decline. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, then I was just going to ask a little bit about mm-hmm. what tools have you been noticing and using in your practice that has been um, helping and how can we help ourselves if we're struggling with that? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I always say that my favorite thing about anxiety is that there are so many things we can do to manage it. Um, So to start, I always like to help clients understand the relationship between performance anxiety, some of what we just talked about, because how we view anxiety has a tremendous impact on how Mm -hmm. we experience it. Right. So if our goal is to feel zero, that's not the best goal. Um, You know, it's, it's part of our goal is to actually view it as helpful instead of harmful. So Mm -hmm. if we understand those butterflies we feel before a game or a race are there to help us, to energize us, you know, are there because we care, that actually changes our relationship with the anxiety and makes it not only manageable, but useful. Mm -hmm. And then there's also a bunch of techniques that help it, you know, kind of take it down a notch. So I always start by, you know, looking at the connection between our thoughts, our feelings and our behaviors, right? So 
for example, if I'm feeling anxious before a game, I might have physical symptoms of anxiety, like my heart's racing, I feel nauseous. Um, I might have some anxious thoughts, like worries about what will happen if I make a mistake. And I probably have some anxious behaviors as well. Maybe I'm like quieter before or during the game, my posture might change. So we have a lot of techniques that target those different areas. So for example, um, we can use phys physiological relaxation techniques like diaphragmatic breathing and progressive muscle relaxation in our order to target that, you know, those physical feelings. Mm -hmm. uh, we can work towards creating more balanced and positive thought patterns, right? Like acknowledging our strengths, uh, noticing the small positives that come up instead of just focusing on the, the little negative things that happen. Uh, we can, you know, focus on the preparation we've put in. Um, as well as focusing our mind by setting simple process goals that are 100% in our control instead of just focusing on the outcome and, and all the expectations. Mm -hmm. um, we can also target our behaviors through body language by acting calmer and more confident on the field. Um, and then there's a whole host of things we can do beforehand, like um, creating opportunities in practice to expose ourselves to high pressure situations mm -hmm. so we can get better at handling anxiety, right? Like that, that idea of like mild stress training, um, as an example, I might challenge myself to hit 10, 10 foot putts in a row, or every time I miss a free throw, I have to do a sprint or, you know, coaches can even create scenarios that are game like, um, like being down by one with 30 seconds left on the mm -hmm. clock, mm -hmm. uh, and so there's that type of practice. There's also visualization where we can imagine ourselves like, you know, sometimes people use visualization to imagine things going perfectly, which is a very useful tool. But another way to use it is to actually imagine feeling anxiety and coping with it mm -hmm. so that you really know and walk yourself through what you will do to manage. Mm -hmm. um, and then yet another component is doing some you know, mindfulness meditation because anxiety takes us way out of the present moment. And having that skill to return to the present um, is really great. And then overall, we put it all together and we can create, you know, pre-performance routines that can help manage the, the anxiety level really well. Mm -hmm. Wow. See, so look good at all stuff. the tools in the toolbox. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the thing. There's just so many, so many ways and it's finding the right toolbox for each person. Yeah. Yeah. So, Lonnie, you have quite the impressive um, educational background, and you have two postdocs that you specialized in. Can you tell us a little bit more about the performance anxiety as well as your one in eating disorders? Yeah. So, you know, so when I was at the University of Delaware, I had the chance to choose a specialization area, but I decided I really wanted to, I really couldn't decide between two and felt as if performance anxiety and eating disorders were just so relevant to athletes that mm -hmm. I really wanted to, you know, make sure I had time to focus my energy on both. Um, so what I did was I worked with both athletes and non-athletes with either eating disorders or uh, performance anxiety actually in various areas from academics to musical or theater performance um, and of course athletics. And um, yeah, so that's, that's how I kind of looked at those two areas. So do you see a correlation between performance anxiety and then disordered eating? Yeah, I mean, I think there are certain aspects of each that definitely relate to one another. And, you know, overall, we do know that eating disorders and anxiety disorders can often 
co-occur, mm-hmm. right? So for some people, they focus on their eating behaviors because it's something that feels within their control, mm-hmm. whereas the anxiety that they experience may feel as if it's out of their control, mm-hmm. um, as well as just features that, you know, potential features that could be in common, like setting high expectations for themselves, maybe some perfectionism, maybe, you know, a fear of negative social evaluation or, you know, things that could tie these two areas together. And, and for both the treatment, you know, can start from understanding what they're experiencing to then teaching concrete techniques that focus on, on changing thoughts and behaviors. Great. So going back to your statement about, you said a lot of times these athletes have struggled with anxiety for almost eight to 10 years before getting help. What do you think about now with this next generation with youth sports starting earlier and earlier and having more pressure? What do you foresee for anxiety and mental health? Yeah, so, you know, youth sports, you know, really have changed over time. And I think there's a couple factors at play. Um, You know, I think the, the pressure to specialize in a particular sport young feels like it continues to increase as well as even the time demands of many sports commitments. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. it can be, you know, instead of a, a youth team practicing a couple of times a week, you know, the elite youth team that's practicing several hours every day. Um, you know, for many athletes, there's a time when sports go from fun to being a high stakes activity. That's all about like attaining an outcome, like, you know, getting into a good college or yeah. getting an athletic mm-hmm. scholarship. And I think the earlier we put kids on the track to like focus on those outcomes, like I have to be on the A team and get on track to, you know, go to college. So I have Mm -hmm. to take private lessons and I have to get ahead. And the earlier they have that feeling of being in a high stakes environment, um, you know, it's, it's more likely to increase their anxiety level. Mm Um, you know, obviously pressure can come from parents and coaches as well as, you know, coming from within, um, and I think so many kids lose sight of why they even play their sport or don't even know in the first place. Right. Right. Like, so I, I often ask people, it's one of the first questions I say, you know, why do you play your sport and what do you love about it? And some really cannot answer that question. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Very challenging. Yeah. Um, no, I don't think you have to love your sport all the time. Like, but it's extremely <laughs> powerful to connect with that why mm-hmm. you know that intrinsic motivation so that when you're facing challenges and pressures you you know you have that okay this is why I'm doing that um so while my you know my practice focuses on working with adolescents and young adults I even have some elementary school kids who come to see me for anxiety related to their sport um oh the gosh. one thing I love though is that when I can see an athlete at a young age it's it's really wonderful to be able to teach them techniques that they can use to manage anxiety that mm-hmm. can help them now and in the future. And, and even the same with adolescents, like so much better for them to you know, come in and work on it and learn things that they can use, you know, for, for some time after, as opposed to, you know, just waiting and waiting as, as so many people do. Um, I see that and, such a benefit, you know, you're yeah. teaching them some tools. Unfortunately, they're, they have to come into your office, but also, you know, if they continue with that sport or a sport in general and they become injured or go through other difficulties, they, they have those tools, um, you know, starting from a young age that can be helpful. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right. And so, so for many athletes, they come to see me, you know, to talk about just any concern that's going on in their life from, you know, having academic stress, relationship concerns, family difficulties, um, as well as, 
learning, you know, tools for managing emotions in general, whether they have anxiety or depression or just, you know, a lot of life stress, um, as well as tools for uh, improving their performance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's got it. I would love to see more long term data because I think about when I grew up, there was no competitive younger sports at that time. And I think there was AAU that you could Mm -hmm. do during the summer. But like, you know, our brain got to unwind when we were done with school and go play kickball or, you know, just goof around with your friends to have that stress and strain from, you know, like you said, elementary age that that cannot benefit their brain development. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think being able to, you know, play multiple, multiple sports and connect with what you like about them and, you know, do the push a little bit later so that you don't burn out and just want to quit in the middle of high school. And the difference between like competition sports and the need for play in right. young children. Yeah, there's a big difference right. there. Mm-hmm. That even goes right. for us adults. Yes. Oh, Karen and I are going to go play More play. Later. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Might be with some margaritas. But yeah, no. maybe. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> That's how we play. <laughs> Anywho. <laughs> yeah. So at the end of every interview, we always like to um, ask how our guests live out the fit philosophy. So in your busy schedule, how do you balance your own performance, health, intellect, and time for self? Yeah, um, you know, I definitely think it is a work in progress. And I think I have gotten better at it in the past couple of years, um, you know, especially with starting my own practice. And, you know, for me, like it all, a lot of it starts from choosing to do work that I love and focusing on quality over quantity. Um, You know, so when I started my practice, I was able to, you know, create the type of caseload and schedule that would allow me to find more balance. And I really focus my work on three areas that have personal relevance to me that I feel really passionate about. So, you know, the sports psychology work allows me to connect with my personal experiences as an athlete and a coach. Um, The anxiety work allows me to help teach people strategies that can really make a difference in improving their quality of life and and are strategies that I use myself to manage stress. Um, And then I also do some summer camp consulting as I've spent 16 years working at a sleepaway camp. Um, so the work I do at camp really balances out my entire year because I go from my practice where I work one-on-one or in small group or team settings to managing nearly like 400 campers and staff, which really changes things up nicely for me and gives me kind of just like a different feel of, for my whole year. Um, and then my main yeah. form, yeah, it's really fun. That's and it's fun. fun. I guess it's just like play sports with kids and, you know, just, um, it, it is a really fun environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and my main form of self-care is, is fitness. And my favorite thing right now is taking, uh, taking kickboxing classes, you know, fitness for me <laughs> used to be about doing something just because it was supposed to be good exercise. Mm-hmm. And now I focus on choosing activities that I actually enjoy and want to do and challenge me in different ways. Um, and overall, I just remind myself that there is absolutely no such thing as a perfect balance. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all about checking in and being mindful of what I'm doing to take care of myself and to continue to grow and challenge myself both personally and professionally. Yeah. Oh, great tips. Yeah. Thanks so much for sharing um, all these tools with us. And Thank we'll you. let our um, listeners know how they can reach you and get a hold of you and um, access you. So thanks so much, Lori, for being on. Have a good day. Thank you. You too. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Queens. 
Thank you to our sponsor today, Sentimano Counseling. Sentimano Counseling is the premier perinatal mental health practice in Kansas City, treating mood disorders during pregnancy and postpartum, perinatal loss, infertility, eating, and exercise disorders. Go to Sentimano.com for further information about the practice and services. For additional information on today's topic and guests, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Fit for a Queen. Hashtag Fit for a Queen. And don't forget to rate us on iTunes. We can't wait for you to join us next time on Fit for a Queen. Bye, queens.